Good day, my friends. And what a gorgeous day this is. And welcome to another Black History Moment with Bo. And first of all, I must ask for your forgiveness for yesterday's show. The story about Pfizer, it kind of upset me and stayed on my mind most of the day. And I had to struggle with it. But it is over now. And if today you're having one of those struggling days, remember this. You have survived everything you've gone through up to this point. There are still people you haven't met and things you haven't experienced. And you know what? You can do this. So get ready, my friends, because this is going to be a great day for you. Before we get into the darkness, I must tell you the new website is doing fantastic. I love hearing your voices and I love your comments. But you know, those haters, (laughs) they will follow you to the end of the world to display their hate. But that's all right, because that just tells me that they are listening. And eventually, the truth is going to get to them. But until then, I want them to know that I refuse to entertain hate from anyone. I don't care who you are. If supporting a cause or making your point requires you to spread hate for any reason at all, you still have so much growing to do but not on my time. And good luck to you. So now, let's slip into darkness. And I'm going to tell you about a man, the first man who coined the phrase Black Power. Kwame Tour, the flamboyant civil rights leader known in most Americans as Stokely Carmichael, died in Conquery, Guyana. He was 57 years old and is best remembered for his use of the phrase black power, which in the mid-1960s ignited a white backlash and alarmed the older generation of civil rights leaders including the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The cause was prostate cancer, for which Mr. Tour had been treated at the Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York for the last two years. He once said his cancer was given to him by the forces of American imperialism and others who conspired with them. Mr. Tour who changed his name in 1978, spent most of his life in Guyana, calling himself a revolutionary and advocating a Pan-American ideology that evoked few in the United States, or for that matter, Africa. Mr. Tour's advocacy 
of the Pan-Africanism was the last phase in a political evolution that passed from indifference to the civil rights movement when he was a high school student to emergence as an effective nonviolent volunteer risking his life against segregation to honorary prime minister of the Black Panther Party. Though his active participation in the struggle for civil rights lasted barely a decade, he was a charismatic figure in a turbulent time when real violence and rhetoric escalated on both sides of the color line. Stokey Carmichael was inspired to participate in the civil rights movement by the bravery of those black and whites who protested segregation service with sit-ins at a lunch counter in the South. When I first heard about the Negroes sitting in at lunch counters down South, he told Gordon Parks in a Life magazine in 1967, I thought they were just a bunch of publicity hounds. But one night when I saw those young kids on TV getting back up on the lunch counter stools after being knocked off them, sugar in their eyes, ketchup in their hair, well, something happened to me. Suddenly, I was burning. Rejecting scholarships from several white universities, he entered Howard University in Washington in 1960. By the end of his freshman year, he had joined the Freedom Rides of the Congress of Racial Equality, hazardous bus trips of black and whites that challenged segregated interstate travel in the South. The Freedom Riders often met with violence, and at their destinations, Mr. Carmichael and others were arrested and jailed. The first incarcerations he experienced. One early arrest brought him a particularly harsh 49-day sentence in Parchment Penitentiary in Mississippi. Graduating with a bachelor's degree in philosophy from Howard in 1964, He joined the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. It was a freedom summer in the year that SNCC was sending hundreds of black and white volunteers to the South to teach, set up clinics, and register disenfranchised black Southerners. Tall, slim, handsome, and a dynamic speaker, Mr. Carmichael soon emerged as a leader, cocky enough to be described as looking like he was strutting when standing still. Mr. Parks wrote that watching him made him believe that the young man could stroll through Dixie in broad daylight using the Confederate flag for a handkerchief. A radicalism born of raw experience. As an SNCC field organizer in Loudest County, Alabama, where blacks were in the majority but politically powerless, he helped raise the number of registered black voters to 2,600 from a mere 70, or 300 more than the number of registered whites. 
displeased by the response of the established parties to the success of the registration drive, he organized an all-black loudest county freedom organization, which to fulfill a state requirement that all parties have a logo, took a black panther as his symbol. The panther was later adopted by the Black Panther Party. The young Mr. Carmichael was radicalized by his experiences working in the segregated South, where peaceful protesters were beaten, brutalized, and sometimes killed for seeking the ordinary rights of citizens. He once recalled watching from his hotel room in a little Alabama town while nonviolent black demonstrators were beaten and shocked with cattle prods by the police. Horrified, he said that he screamed and could not stop. Mr. Carmichael was arrested so often as a nonviolent volunteer that he lost count after 32. His growing impatience with the tactics of the passive resistance was gaining support. And in 1966, he was chosen as chairman of the SNCC, replacing John Lewis, a hardworking integrationist who is now a deceased congressman from Georgia. Barely a month after his selection, Mr. Carmichael, then 25, raised the call for black power thereby signaling a crossroads in the civil rights struggle. Increasingly uncomfortable with Dr. King's resolute nonviolence, he sensed a shift among some younger blacks in the direction of black separatism. Many were listening sympathetically to the urges of Malcolm X, who had been assassinated a year and a half earlier that the struggle should be carried out by any means necessary. It was June 16, 1966, and Mr. Carmichael, a spellbinding orator, was addressing a crowd of 3,000 in a park in Greenwood, Mississippi. James Meredith, who had integrated the University of Mississippi, was wounded on his solitary walk against fear from Memphis to Jackson, and volunteers were marching in his place. When they set up camp in Greenwood, Mr. Carmichael was arrested, and his frustration was obvious. This is the 27th time, he said in disgust after his release. We've been saying freedom for six years, he continued, referring to the chant that movement protesters used as they stood up to racist politician and hostile policemen pointing water hoses and unleashing snarling dogs. What we are going to start saying now is black power. The crowd quickly took up the phrase black power. It repeated in a cry that would soon be echoed in communities from Oakland to Newark. But if Mr. Carmichael's call for black power galvanized many young blacks, it troubled others who thought it sounded anti-white, provocative, and violent, and it struck fear in many whites. 
adverse reaction was powerful and immediate. After the integrationist nonviolent speeches and sermons of Dr. King and others, few Americans, white or black, were prepared for the uncompromising demands of black militants who rallied to Mr. Carmichael's cry. Newspapers deplored the term, and editorials warned of reverse racism. Contribution to civil rights groups from sympathetic whites fell. Voting results that November in many state and local elections reflected a white backlash. Many black leaders of the civil rights movement, though eager to avoid a split, were clearly upset by the use of the phrase and that separatism it seemed to advocate. Dr. King called it an unfortunate choice of words. Roy Wilkins of the NAACP scorned it as an example of the raging of race against race. Perhaps the most indignant response came from Whitney Young Jr., the director of the National Urban League, who said, anyone can arouse the poor, the despairing, the helpless. That's no trick. Sure, they'll shout black power. But why doesn't the mass media find out how many of those people will follow those leaders to a separate state or back to Africa? In the book, Black Power, which Mr. Carmichael wrote in 1967 with Charles Hamilton, now a professor of political science at Columbia University, the authors tried to explain the term. They wrote, it is a call for black people in this country to unite, to recognize their heritage, to build a sense of community. It is a call for black people to define their own goals, to lead their own organizations. But even as the book, which is still in print, appeared, Mr. Carmichael's speeches became more provocative. When you talk of black power, you talk of building a movement that will smash everything Western civilization has created, he told black audiences. And as civil unrest flared in Detroit and Newark, Mr. Carmichael's call became associated, as Mr. Hamilton put it, with riot and guns and burn, baby, burn. Instead of young people singing, we shall overcome. New images of militant black men and women were being shown on television. Black berets raised fists, men with guns. And along with goals of social justice and integration came ideas of black separatism and power harking back to the black nationalism that had been preached in the 1920s by Marcus Garvey. In 1966 and 67, Mr. Carmichael lectured at campuses around the United States and traveled abroad to several countries, including North Vietnam, China, and Cuba. He made perhaps his most provocative statement in Havana. We are preparing groups of urban guerrillas for our defense in cities, he said. It is going to be a fight to the death.
1967, a declining SNCC severed all ties with him. Soon after, he became honorary prime minister of the Black Panthers, the ultra-militant urban organization begun by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. But he soon found himself embroiled with Panther leaders for opposing their decision to seek support among whites. He moved to Guyana in West Africa in 1969, saying America does not belong to the blacks and calling on all black Americans to follow his example. In July of 1969, three months after he moved to Africa, he made public a letter announcing his resignation from the Black Panther Party because of what he called his dogmatic party line favoring alliances with white radicals. That letter signaled Mr. Carmichael's break from the main currents of American life. He made his home in Conatry as the guest of Siku Tori, the Marxist head of a one-party state. His next-door neighbors was Kwame Nkrumah, the Pan-Africanist first leader of independent Ghana who, after being deposed in a coup in 1966, was offered sanctuary in Guyana. In 1968, now calling himself Kwame Tour, he married Miriam Makiba, the South African singer. They lived in a seaside villa where he sometimes greeted visitors wearing the green uniform of the Guyanan soldier, a pistol at his side. After they divorced, he married Maritua Berry, a Guyanan doctor who now lives in Arlington, Virginia, and from whom he also divorced. He is survived by his mother, three sisters, and two sons, according to a statement by the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. He became a globe-trotting exponent of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, returning to American campuses to recruit. He maintained that continued progress for Black Americans could be made only through mass political organization on a pan-African scale. Black power, he said, can only be realized when there exists a unified socialist Africa. He studied the idea that blacks must work with blacks for their cultural, economic, and political liberation. Mr. Carmichael never publicly criticized President Tory, who was known to jail and torture his opponents. The Guyanan leader died in 1984, and two years later, Mr. Carmichael's alignment with him led to his arrest by the military government that had taken over. He spent three days in jail, accused of trying to overthrow the government. Mr. Carmichael continued to live in Guyana. To the end, he answered his telephone with the greeting he had used for more than 20 years. 
ready for the revolution. Stokely Carmichael, the man that gave us the phrase black power, left the United States on his own accord, discouraged by the tract that black Americans were taking. Not to say that he did not love black Americans. He just wanted us to be separate, to have our own state, and to govern over our own selves. A lot of people thought that way, and still a lot of people think that way today. It's up to you to decide what is best for you. Because my friends, at the end of the day, the pawn and the king go back in the same box. We all know what that music means. But before I go, I must leave you with this message. Never feel guilty for moving on. Not everybody who comes into your life is meant to stay. You're not selfish for removing toxic people from your life. There comes a point when you have to stop being unfair to yourself. Have a good day, my friends. And until next time, it has been my honor.